Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Train Spotting. Train Spotting was written by Irving Welsh and published in 1993. And the film adaptation, which came out in 1996, was directed by Danny Boyle. And this is our train spotting episode. We've actually had this on our long list for a while. We have. So it's kind of fun that we are able to do it now. And also, um, I have just spent some time in Scotland. Yes. Myself. So y- you saw that we were doing train spotting and you were like, you know what? I have to do the real research. I <laughs> yeah. have to go there. I have to be among the Scottish people, you know, really uh, live among them to understand. <laughs> no, it was actually like the other way around. Like we were like, oh, what if we do train spotting? Because I'll be going there. Yeah. So we, we kind of picked it because of that. But yeah, my me and my sister um, planned a trip to visit uh, England and Scotland for like 10 days. We went. It was so awesome and fun. We did like all the touristy things. Um, we did spend a day in Edinburgh, but we spent most of our time in the Stirling area of southern Scotland. So yeah, it was super fun, super awesome. I loved getting to read this book and kind of picking up on like some of the locations they talk about in this book and being like, oh, I went there. Yeah. So that was really awesome. When you also mentioned too, like uh, in this book, they use a lot of, uh, I don't want to say slang, but like Scottish terms Mm -hmm. and you picked up on them from time to time talking to people, right? Yeah. Yeah. We talked to this bartender one night and he used the word bevy um, and I had just read in the book because like the book includes like a little dictionary at the back about all these different terms and what they mean and realized it was about drinking and not not just like any kind of drink it's like drinking alcohol specifically and kind of alcoholic in nature so i was like "Ooh, i feel like i'm learning (laughs) (laughs) so shout out to anybody who lives in england or scotland um i would love to visit again it was super cool um i obviously know nothing about the culture because i was just there as a tourist so i will not pretend to know anything about this you were double dipping into the the culture (laughs) though from but by both being there and reading about it at the same time true yeah although we should say a very specific subset of Scottish culture. At a very specific time as yes. well. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the writing style first and foremost in this book because yeah. it is very, very, very unique. Yes. It is completely written in dialect. Um, so the way that it's written is the way that you would say it. Yeah. What is that called again? Did we ever look that up? I know I know the term for it. Yeah, like, so words are misspelled in a way to reflect the accent that they're spoken in. Yeah. So all is ah, like A-W. Yeah. Uh, Head is hide. Yeah. H-E-I-D-E. So, like, all kinds of words that are spelled differently. Mm -hmm. Then throw in a bunch of, like, specifically Scottish terms. Yeah. So, like, Ken, Mm -hmm. K-E-N, is to know. Yeah. Uh, You said bevy. Yeah. Right? Is to drink. Uh, Bairn. Bairn is child, which (laughs) took me so long to figure out. Swedge is to fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just so many terms like that that you kind of have to, like, 
pick up on. And there's also like street slang, right? They call heroin skag. Yes. You know, which, uh, and, and luckily in the book, there is a dictionary in the back that has- Not mine. Oh, you didn't have yours? No, I didn't. Oh my gosh, I had one in mine. Um, but it actually doesn't include everything. And there were some things that I read that I was like, what is that? And I would try to look it up and it wasn't in the dictionary anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> the one thing that confused me was poppy is money. Yeah. Which you'd think poppy would be heroin. Because of like the opium yes. from the poppy. I know, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I was like, poppy. I'm like, oh, I get it. You're okay. like, I know this yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> and then later it's, I, I realize it's money. I'm like, what? Yeah. Add on top of this the fact that uh, there is no quotations yeah. in the writing. None of the dialogue has quotations. There's usually a, um, like a, like a, dash. a dash before mm-hmm. people speak. And then there are chapters in first person, chapters in third person. Yeah. And it, it, these are all short stories, too. It's not really a novel. I mean, it is kind of a novel. Yeah. But it's all told from different perspectives. It's mostly told from the main character's perspective, Mark Renton, um, known as Rents or Renton or Rent Boy, throughout the story. But, like, we get other characters and their little short stories that come up. And it kind of goes all over the place. So it's really hard to figure out what's going on, especially at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, like I would be reading a chapter and I'm like, first of all, who's talking? Yeah. Who is this? It takes a long time sometimes to figure out who's talking. Actually. It does. And even times I thought like I was picking up and understanding like one character as they were talking kept using the term Ken. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I bet this is Spud because he uses that word a lot and yeah. has referred to it. But then no, it was Begbie. Yeah. It was Begbie speaking. So I'm like, <laughs> fuck, like it's so hard. And then like, in that chapter, they were talking about pool, but it took me so long to figure out that they were yes. talking about pool mm-hmm. between the terminology and the kind of stream of conscience, uh, like, writing style. Mm-hmm. And each character, too, has a little bit of a different narration style, too. Like, Begbie's chapters were kind of the hardest to read. Yeah. Because he speaks the most um, in dialect out of everybody. Yeah. So you're like, wait, what is he saying? I don't quite know. You know what this reminded me, though, of, Ian? What? Uh, Clockwork Orange. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's definitely... So in the movie, in the club scene, Mm -hmm. there's actually a shot that is uh, a reference to Kubrick's Clockwork Orange when they're at the club. And I I noticed that. I'm like, oh, the wall decorations look like whatever the club is they're at in that story. So yeah, the... Between like just it being about like young hooligans Mm -hmm. and having their own kind of dialect and terminology and yes uh yeah it definitely feels heavily connected to a clockwork orange Mm -hmm. let's talk about the cast of characters here and we've already mentioned some of them already we have the main character mark renton who we're gonna call rents or renton throughout the episode everybody has a real name and everyone has a nickname and some people have multiple nicknames so it's very confusing yeah that was another aspect that added to the confusion (laughs) uh yeah so we're gonna call him renton or rents or rent boy just a variation on that uh he is the the main character even in the book yeah i'd say even though the book has so many characters he's still the main one Mm -hmm. and he is a unique and interesting character he's the most He's the heaviest user of heroin. Yeah. And seems just kind of resigned to that lifestyle in a lot of ways. Yeah, we figure out throughout the book and the movie that he's smart. And in the book, he has spent some time going to college. He went to university for a while and then dropped out. So, like, he could do better. And it's really unclear sometimes why he's choosing this lifestyle. Yeah. We also have Spud 
who is kind of like a goofy, dumb, well-meaning guy. Yeah, he has the biggest heart of them and is just kind of like, unfortunately, not that bright. Yeah. And kind of gets like roped into a lot of things. But Mm -hmm. if he does have one vice outside of drug use, it is uh, stealing. Yeah. He has light fingers. Yes. (laughs) Then we have Sick Boy, who is the ladies' man of the group. Yeah. His defining characteristic is that he just has sex with everyone. (laughs) 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 which like is so such kind of a recurring joke in the book yeah like i think at one point it talked about spud trying to get with this woman and being unsuccessful and then afterwards it was like uh sick boy fucked her though yeah (laughs) yeah and in the movie he's very into the bond movies and specifically sean connery well he is in the book too yeah but it's more emphasized in the movie yeah there is just one chapter in the book where he keeps like doing the Sean Connery accent, yeah. like using a sh- like on every word. Yeah. That was really funny. But yes, that is his second qualifying uh, characteristic. Then we have Begbie, who is the psychopath of the group. Yes. He's definitely a little bit older. At least he seems that way. Yeah. Whether or not he actually is um, harder. He likes hurting people. He likes just starting shit and being cruel and having power o- over other people. And it's one of those situations that the more we find out about him in the book and in the movie, the more it's like, why do these people hang out with him? And those people also don't know why they hang out with him. No, the dynamic that of that that's explored in the book, I really like, you know, Renz thinks a lot about it is like, you know, we hang out with him because he is intimidating and scary and we feel like that's protection for us. Yeah. But he's also just as vile and violent to us. Yeah. And he thinks about like a statistic where like however many murders, like 80% of them are by like a friend or family. Yeah. And he's like, that's kind of like our situation with Begbie a bit. Yes. (laughs) Then we have Tommy Mm -hmm. and Begbie and Tommy do not use heroin. Um, And Tommy is into like weightlifting and he's sort of just like the nice guy, straight guy of the group. The golden boy. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the book has this huge cast of characters like all these other people. And what the movie does is the movie kind of takes a lot of these stories that happen to a lot of random characters and assigns them to the more core of the group, which are these five. Which makes sense because like there will be sub chapters where like um, it's a group of people that they they, they play poker with Renton. Yeah. But like you haven't met any of them before and it's just their own little story and then you never meet any of them again. Yeah. Uh, They kind of pop in and out of the story and sometimes you're like, wait, have we met this person before or not? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But a huge cast of characters though. Yeah, it was really hard to keep track of the names and to remember if we had seen this person before. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the movie opening. Yes. Because <laughs> the movie has... One of the most, I think, iconic openings of maybe any movie. Yeah. Which is Rents and Spud being chased through the streets of uh, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. Pursued by the cops. And the narration, the voiceover by Renton, which is the choose life, choose uh, a mortgage, a microwave. Yeah. 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 Uh, That whole speech, Mm -hmm. which is probably the most iconic bit of dialogue from the entire movie. Yeah. And the. Dialogue is actually from the book, from one of yeah. the short stories. Yeah, this mm-hmm. speech is maybe not verbatim. I can't remember all the uh, examples in it, but yeah. <laughs> it's essentially at its core the same thing. Yeah, and we're seeing them pursued by the police, and we get like a kind of like freeze frame. <laughs> we don't get the 
Bet you're wondering how I got in this situation, but <laughs> it, it is it that feels it, like yes, it. it's almost that exact same uh, setup. Though yeah. you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but just such an iconic beginning to the story. Yeah, and then we kind of go back in time and see Renton and figure out what's going on with him, and this is where we get his explanation for his addiction to heroin. Yeah, and we see him in kind of a flop house mm-hmm. with, I think, all the main cast. Well, no, Begbie wouldn't be there. Yeah, or and Tommy. Tommy. Mm-hmm. We do get a cutaway from them saying, though, like, I'd never put any of that shit in my body. He's, like, smoking a cigarette. And, like, drinking alcohol. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but Sick Boy and Spud are there as well. Yeah. And they're all shooting up and, and getting high. Mm-hmm. We get an iconic line from one of the female characters that, says uh that's better than any meat injection (laughs) (laughs) better than any cock in the whole world yeah and yeah and and renton doubles down on that and says like imagine the best orgasm you've ever had multiply it by a thousand and you're not even close Mm -hmm. and the book kind of goes into detail too about like living this junky lifestyle and how it really is living from hit to hit and that feeling of knowing that the heroin is leaving your system and how that ill it makes you feel and how desperate you are yeah he he describes a lot about feeling like his bones are grinding together (laughs) yeah that's talked about quite a bit yes but i love i found this some of the most interesting and compelling reading in the whole book and a lot of it happens early on is just kind of like describing the withdrawal effects yeah and just the psychological need for more heroin and how that negates like any other bodily need you have mm-hmm. or emotional need or anything else. Yeah, and also the the power plays too. Yeah. Um it's talked about in detail about like the dealer and kind of the role of the dealer and the power and like the desperation and really like seeing how people end up doing really, really horrible things to other people and to themselves just to get that heroin because the desperation is so deep and strong. Um, But again, there being like this, this balance of power that shifts in between begging for your next hit and then after you get it and then not feeling that desperate need anymore yeah uh in the movie we get renton who you know after kind of coming down from his high is Mm -hmm. like i'm done i'm off it yeah you know no more and i love how just immediately you can tell that like this is not the first time he said this that this is like probably a recurring thing for him Mm -hmm. and in the book it's confirmed that like he's had bouts of like being on and off heroin you know and Mm -hmm. the coming down and the getting back on and it being this cycle yeah uh, but we get a little bit of his uh, prep work. Yes. He gets multiple cans of soup, which he will consume cold, <laughs> uh, water. He gets uh, a bucket for his piss, a bucket for his shit, and a bucket for his vomit. Yeah. And then I just love the comical uh, visual of him literally boarding his own door closed. Yes. Only to immediately... <laughs> take it off pry the boards off because he (laughs) needs something to like help him come come off yeah so he's like all right i just need one last hit to help me come down (laughs) so i can then go off of it i mean but this is junkie reasoning right this is like what makes sense in his mind and he can't find his usual dealer so he has to go to somebody new and all that this person has is uh suppositories in the film, the dealer is played by Irvine Welsh. Oh, really? Yes, this is like a cameo by him. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, uh, but yes, 
<laughs> and we get the great line, like, for as much good as they're going to do me, I might as well shove them up my ass. <laughs> I love Ewan McGregor in this role. He's so good. I mean, we'll probably talk about him again in other parts, but, like, just the way he kind of, like, smiles after <laughs> delivering that line. Like, he, he gives you that, like, slightly, like, manic... Yes. Edge. Like, there's a manic edge to him that really comes through. And I think it really does a lot for the character. It do- but he's also charming, too, yes. in a way. You know yeah. what I mean? There's some kind of quality to him that, like, makes you want to root for him and like him. Yeah, but you also know, like, I don't know, with the, the manicness kind of gives him an edge. Like, he feels like he's a little bit dangerous just because... He is desperate, right? Yeah. And it kind of seems like he might do anything, not just when he is on heroin, but even when he's, you know, sober. Like, yes. there's this edge to him. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So he uh, promptly uh, puts the suppositories up his ass. <laughs> and on his way home, and this is something, so heroin will uh, constipate you. Yeah. Until. Which any, like, opioid. Yeah. Even, like, painkillers can, do, like, heavy painkillers can do this. Yeah. You do not poop. And then when it leaves your system. <laughs> it really leaves your system. <laughs> so Renton, on his way back uh, from the drug dealer, has to rush to the nearest bathroom. Yes. Which just happens to be. The worst toilet in Scotland. <laughs> Oh, my God. The description of this toilet in the book was maybe even worse than how it was portrayed in the movie. You think? Yeah. Yeah. It was just so disgusting. It was basically, I'm just, I'm not going to go into it too much, but it was basically like, there's just a well of pee. <laughs> yeah. And other things just in, like, on the floor. There, there's just, like, a layer of liquid on the floor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is so absolutely revolting. And yet, for his dis- cause this is like, honestly, Adina, this is a recurring nightmare of mine. I have to use the bathroom <laughs> and it every toilet looks like the worst toilet in Scotland. Oh my god. So this cut deep for me. This oh was no. like this was bad. Did you have any dreams afterwards about no, it? No, I didn't, but I'm sure I'll have one within a month. <laughs> it, it, it's it's fairly recurring for me. But yeah. uh Something about it, though, for as disgusting it is, as it is, like, maybe it's Ewan McGregor or just the way it's filmed. It's still so funny in it such is. a revolting way. Like, he tries to flush the toilet and the plunger thing just immediately comes off. Yeah. Uh, there's just no toilet seat. It's just absolutely disgusting. He has to go so bad that he just, you know, sits down anyway and Feels so relieved as he's, you know, finally letting go, only for the horror to slowly dawn on him that those wonderful heroin suppositories are now in the toilet, are now in this disgusting toilet. I mean, (laughs) is there a better visual for like the lengths his character at least will go for his high? I mean, it is disgustingly perfect. Right. Yes. And yet the book, you know, stick sticks to just him rummaging in the toilet for the suppositories and finding them. Yeah. The movie, though, kicks it up a notch, somehow goes full circle from being like disgusting to weirdly beautiful and tranquil and poetic and poetic (laughs) as he dives 
full body into the toilet. Yeah, I just love seeing his him slowly, <laughs> like his feet getting lower and lower. And in then the, him turning the as he goes in. Yeah, and then we see him underwater and there's like a sea mine <laughs> yeah. in there. He eventually like finds the pills. I love how like white and almost like and glowing they huge are. they're too. Yeah, yeah. Pulls them out and then we see him like coming up out of the toilet. I don't know, like... I mean, I'm sure they. it was that not that hard to film, but just watching it is really cool because it looks like he's really coming in and out of it. Yes, I think it's just like a very specifically designed entry with yeah. like hidden by the toilet that Ewan McGregor's coming in and out of. But like, it's such an amazing and iconic scene. And just, like I said, like it's so gross, yet weirdly beautiful and funny and just so symbolic of where his character's at. And I just yeah. love how surreal it is. Yeah. It's it's remarkable. It's fantastic. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. Um, He puts them back in his butt. <laughs> yeah. And in the book, he gets on a bus after this. Yeah. Ian. After we've just described, like, how gross he is i mean he in the book he doesn't actually go all the way into the toilet right yeah. but he's very gross and then he just gets on a fucking bus yes he does oh my god <laughs> it, uh yeah i mean absolutely disgusting yeah so he he comes off of it he comes yeah. off heroin he mm-hmm. he recovers and you know so he this kind of begins a stretch in the story where he's off of it but the book is so interesting in a way because like there are points when you know he's off of it or back on but then at other points it'll mention him being off heroin when you thought he was on it i know or vice versa and it's confusing but i think in a very appropriate way Mm -hmm. because like this just seems to be his life of coming on or coming off and going back on heroin so frequently that it's like who knows when he's on or off it. Yeah. So I actually felt like that was like very impactful in a way how that was handled in the book. Yeah. It always like every time we're back with Rent's perspective in the book, it's kind of like, well, is he using again? Is he not? Yeah. We don't really know. Where is he? Mm-hmm. Uh, another iconic scene coming up in the film that is also almost verbatim in the book, mm-hmm. which is Spud uh, trying his best to fuck up a job interview <laughs> yeah. by by trying at the job interview. Yeah, uh, Spud and Renton have job interviews. And it's not, like, if you don't know what's going on, it's a little bit unclear, I think. Yeah. Because they they have these job interviews, and they're trying to fuck them up, but not obviously fuck them up. And the whole idea is because they are collecting unemployment. And right now, when the book is taking place in the 80s and the 90s in Scotland, there is a huge economic recession happening. So, like, so many people are unemployed. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of, you know, drug use happening, not just in Scotland, but everywhere during this time, too. Like, heroin is big. AIDS is big. So all of these things are kind of combining here in Scotland and specifically in Edinburgh, as the author is writing about. So, you know, Renton and Spud are on the dole, as they call it, so collecting unemployment. And they don't want to work because the unemployment is funding their either junkie habit or their drinking and partying habits, right? But they have to go to job (laughs) interviews in order to stay on unemployment. And it seems like they have to actually be trying for the jobs. Yeah. And so Spud is, like, I think genuinely trying. Yeah. But... 
knows and Renton knows that he's going to fuck up because he's trying. And they also take speed before they interview, <laughs> yes. too. So. Uh, <laughs> So Spud lies on his job interview to get his foot in the door, which yes. they frequently say you didn't need to. You were referred to by the uh, unemployment office. And of course, he's talking a mile a minute because he's on the speed and he's just going off. I love when he's like, pleasure. Uh, I love people enjoying leisure. Leisure is my pleasure. Yes. <laughs> uh, a little fun fact uh, about Ewan. Oh, I forget his name, the actor who plays Spud. Mm. It's Ewan something. Uh, he played Renton in the stage production yes. of Train Spotting before being in this movie. Because there was a play actually before the movie came out. Yeah. And so he starred as Renton in it and he wanted to be Renton in the film as well. Mm-hmm. But Danny Boyle had his eyes on uh, Ewan, McGregor. Ewan McGregor for the role and kind of wasn't planning on changing that. So he offered the role of Spud mm-hmm. uh, to the other Ewan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he is just so good at, at playing Spud. Yeah. He is so perfect in the role that I'm sure he's a good Renton too, but it's almost impossible to imagine him as anyone other than Spud. I know. And again, Ewan McGregor just brings this like manic kind of like vibrating energy. Yes. I think to Renton, that's really interesting. And like, it's worth noting too, that you and McGregor lost a lot of weight for the performance. Yeah. And he really does look kind of skeletal. <laughs> Two stones, however much that is. I don't that's... know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ewan Bremer is, okay. is who plays Spud, by okay. the way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Ewan McGregor really, really committed to the role to the point of, and I, if this is true, he said he came really close to trying heroin. I hope that's not true. I mean, he came close. He didn't. Yeah. But he, according to him, he came close to wanting to try it. I feel like anyone who has read the material, whether that's the screenplay or seen the movie or read the book, should be like, I will never do heroin. (laughs) I I agree. Uh, But, you know, there is something about this movie that I really appreciate, which is, and I think it's captured well in the early parts, even for how disgusting it is, even though that you're like, I wouldn't want to live the lives of these people at all. Yeah. There is a vibrancy and an energy and a fun to it all mm-hmm. that I respect. Cause like you compare this to another movie like um, Requiem for a Dream, which is yeah. also about heroin uh, abuse. And it's so dark and gritty and it, it in ways feels like a PSA for just like not doing drugs. <laughs> yeah. But this, you do, to a degree, understand the appeal of living the life that they do. Mm-hmm. Even though you wouldn't want to do it yourself, or most people wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. I think Danny Boyle does a good job of capturing the energy of it mm-hmm. effectively. Yeah, and, like, it's a group of friends, right? So they do have fun together, and it seems like they have a bond. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's kind of capturing their culture a little bit, and it's not just, like, drugs are bad, look what happens to people who use drugs, which... Ends up being like, yes, look what happens to people who use drugs. But it's about more than that. And I do appreciate that. And it's the same with the book. Like the book is about what happens to people who who use drugs. But it's it's more about like just capturing that culture a little bit. Reminds me of Fight Club a little in that way. Yeah. Like even though Fight Club, you're like, these people are awful and I wouldn't want to be them. Like there's a aspect of it that you kind of admire Mm -hmm. and are a little envious of their kind of worldview and not giving a shit about anything. Yeah. So I I think it does a good job of that. Let's talk about Begbie a bit. Yeah. Because we have this scene in both the book and the movie where Begbie randomly throws a glass into a crowd. Yeah. Off a balcony. Yeah. 
and it smashes someone. Mm-hmm. They get glassed. They talk about that a lot, glassing someone, like smashing a glass yeah. on them. Uh, and it just begins this, like, whole fight. Yeah. And in the book, it's so weird and confusing because then Begby is pretending to, like, find out who did it and, yeah. like, beating people up, pretending to look for the culprit yeah. when he did it. It's wild. And this is just a little insight into his character because he's psychotic. Like, yeah. he is a psychopath. Um, He likes hurting people. He likes having power over people. And this is just one example of that. We see, too, another scene where Tommy... Um, one of the the other character that we haven't really talked about that much, who doesn't do any drugs or anything, is talking about hanging out with Begby and playing pool. And Begby getting like so pissed off because he's losing at pool. Yeah. And Tommy trying to lose so that Begby <laughs> yeah. doesn't get like mad at him. Yes. And then Begby decides though to take out his anger on a poor, unsuspecting person at the bar instead. Yeah, and and just proceeds to beat the shit out of them. And, you know, this is just so insightful into, like, not only Begbie's attitude, but, like, the effect it has on the group. Like you said, Tommy trying to, like, uh, tamper down his, like, anger by, like, intentionally losing. Yeah. Uh, And I just love, too, in the film, the way, like, this kind of frenetic energy of, like, you have Begbie telling this, like, boisterous story about, like, him fighting a douchebag at the bar. Yeah. And then it cuts to Renton talking to Tommy about what really happened while Mm -hmm. he's hanging out with Tommy. And meanwhile, Renton steals a sex tape off Tommy that comes into play later in this story. And then we jump back forward in time to the moment the glass was thrown off, which begins the fight. Mm -hmm. Like, it kind of drills down into the story and pulls back. and Yeah, and it's a really good part showcasing uh, Begbie's character. Yeah, um, yes. And seeing it from a few different angles. The book also goes in depth. We get some chapters from Begbie's perspective. He has this long-term girlfriend, June, who eventually gets pregnant with his child and, and has his baby and everything. But we just see how awful he is to her. Um, yeah. He's just, you know, in every way he's abusive to her. He beats her. Even when she's pregnant, he's abusive to yeah. her. Um, it's just really sad. And we just see how much of a really shitty and awful person Begbie is. It also kind of highlights, too, like, you know, he has this child with June, but then, like, does nothing to, like, see the child, take care of the child, take care of June. But he, like, has this expectation of her of taking care of the child. And we see that through other characters in the story, too. Yeah. Uh, Like, the children they have. And, uh, in fact, in the book, Begbie kind of runs into his dad mm-hmm. who's just kind of a drunk alcoholic that bum. doesn't recognize him yeah on the street and doesn't recognize him and just kind of like hinting at that repeating uh you know cycle. cycle yeah yeah yeah, yeah it is really sad Let's go to the club. Let's go to the club. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to party. Renton, and I think everyone maybe, Sick Boy and Spud as well, are all off heroin at the moment. Yeah. And they are looking to fuck. Another fun fact about heroin, Mm -hmm. apparently. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't know if it's fun or you don't know if it's true. I mean... I am just basing that off of what we have read. Yeah. But um, one of the side effects that can happen with heroin is that you just totally lose your sex drive completely. Yeah, you don't have any. And I don't know if that's because the addiction is so strong that it takes over everything else. Yeah, is it purely psychological or is it physiological too? I'm not yeah. sure. But <laughs> there's like, there's so many funny lines in this book, but one, I think maybe Begbie says it. Yeah. Talking about Renton when he's on heroin and like not interested in women at all. Mm-hmm. And he says something along the lines of... Uh, 
sometimes I think Rents thinks an erection is for pissing over a high wall. (laughs) 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 Just an amazing line. So funny. Yeah. But they, they they're all kind of off of the heroin now. They're suddenly like, oh yeah, sex. Like I would love to do that. Yes, please. (laughs) Let's do it. So, you know, they're all at the club. They're all feeling sexy and they all end up kind of pairing off into their, their groups. Uh, Rent Renton is in the tightest uh, crop top T-shirt I've ever seen in my life. It's so kind of goofy and funny looking. Uh, but he sees Sick Boy obviously has a woman. It seems like uh, Begbie is with someone. So it's just him and Spud. Yeah. So it's kind of a uh, you know every man for himself situation. Yeah. Uh, Spud in the movie is seeing Gail. Yeah. And she has been withholding sex from him strategically. This is not how it goes in the uh, book. In the book, it's like him and Spud look cruising for some uh, sex, basically. Some tail. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, you know, Spud is very, very anxious to have sex with Gail because it's been a while. Uh, Tommy and Lizzie, who have been together for some time now, they're like the couple of the group, are getting frisky on the dance floor. Yeah. And then uh, Renton happens to see a young lady across the club. Yes. And approaches her. In both book and movie, she kind of like disses another guy. And he yeah. kind of takes that opening of like, hey, I like how you handled that other <laughs> man. Uh, in the movie, it seems like she's way more like kind of not dominating him or shutting him like just kind of immediately is like i have you all figured out yeah and catches him off guard but then is also like okay but we can you want to you want to come home (laughs) with me maybe uh so goes home with her yeah they all go home with their uh varying partners right yes let's discuss the aftermath of each situation um would you like to discuss spud first (laughs) let's discuss spud (laughs) poor poor spud first of all he is just completely useless because he's too drunk. Yeah, cannot have sex. Nope. We get a lot of dicks in this movie. Yeah. Multi- oh, yeah. Multiple dicks. Lots of dicks. I respect it. I do too. <laughs> uh, yeah, Spud, just his girlfriend can't even have sex with him. He's just like out of it, which I mean, you know, he's drunk, so. Yeah, that's, he shouldn't. No. <laughs> uh, but in the morning, Spud discovers that he has literally and figuratively shit the bed. Yeah. <laughs> so. So this uh, is actually in the book as well, but it's not Spud this instant happens to. It's a character named David. Dave? Yeah. Or Dave. Yeah. Uh, and so Spud attempts to, you know, bundle up the sheets, sneak off with them because he insists on washing them. Yes. The mother. Of Gail. Of Gail insists on washing them herself. The fight ensues over the sheets, which leads to the shit being hitting the fan hitting the fan <laughs> and everything else <laughs> in the kitchen all on their breakfasts it's, and all on their faces it's so gross oh my god but once again just somehow it gets away with it and it's so funny too i know and then this is a good example of reassigning a random story to like a more significant character right because yes. like dave is not really important to the story no so like having it be spud is more funny and it, also kind of yeah. adds to spud's kind of like luckless like yes. dumb character getting himself in these situations yeah because that situation feels like a spud situation yeah whereas later on when we find out more about david in a different story it seems very out of character it's like a totally different type of person that you'd imagine that happening to so yeah uh tommy poor poor tommy 
uh, he and his girlfriend, uh, his girlfriend is like, hey, let's watch your sex tape while we're having sex. And yeah. he's like, oh, yeah. That's hot. Uh, and he discovers that it is missing. Yeah. Because Renton stole it. Yes. <laughs> Which is <laughs> just un- so crazy shitty yeah and his poor girlfriend is freaking out because he doesn't know what happened to it yeah he's like maybe i returned it to the video store so then they're waiting at the video store trying to see if they found it and lizzie was already upset with tommy because of uh an incident where he was going to go to an Iggy pop concert instead of celebrating her birthday (laughs) (laughs) yes uh and so this leads to her dumping him yeah And let's go back to Renton and Diane, the girl that he went home with from the bar. He they have sex and then she's like, you can't stay here. And he's like kind of upset about this. And she's finally like, "Okay, you can sleep on the couch in the hallway. Yeah. But like you can't be in my room with me and you just got to like go. He wakes up to her much older roommates (laughs) uh, eating breakfast only to discover that the roommates are in fact her parents and that she in fact is 14 years old. We don't know how old she is in the movie. No, they don't say that. I mean, Danny Boyle has said like he wanted to cast a girl because she's she was 19 when they filmed this. And yeah. he wanted to cast someone that could believably be like that age. Yeah. So I think that was the intent of, you know, her being relatively that young. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't like the way that this happens in both versions. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody is addresses it afterward in any significant way. No. In fact, Diane, after this appearance in the book, does not come back in any capacity, right? No. Yeah. Which I was shocked by because mm-hmm. I knew she was a main character in the film. Yeah. Uh, but I think the thing... So, like, the book and movie create this whole situation, this whole scenario where... That completely alleviates Rent of uh, having done something wrong, basically. Because, like, he met her at a club that I'm sure you had to be 18 to get into. He talks about, in the book, at length about, like, how she looked older. Because she Mm -hmm. had all this makeup on. And, like, he didn't know. And, of course, he doesn't know that this is, like, her parents' house when he goes back with her. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, like, you could be like, okay, he didn't do anything wrong technically like he didn't know and she kind of like tricked him to a degree but i think the thing that's annoying is just like if a man his age sleeps with a 14 year old girl in real life almost always the situation is going to be the guy knows and he's taking advantage of her yeah and this situation of like oh the girl is deceiving him and she's the one who's like has the power yeah like that's just comes across as such a like male fantasy yes of like hey imagine having sex with like a 14 year old girl but like it's not your fault like you're actually like totally you didn't know yeah you didn't know yeah and the fact that the author wrote it this way i don't really know what the point is no because it doesn't really like reflect badly on renton later you know Mm -hmm. it's not like a turning point for him it's not like an aspect of his shitty character it's supposed to be like funny yeah i just think it's for a laugh yeah and and the movie doesn't do much better honestly the movie is just kind of like oh haha like you know Her parents are there and she's a a kid. And then she kind of is like, you know, if you don't let me see you again, I'm going to call the police. Yeah. On you. Because in the movie, he sees her again. Yeah. And so this is like doubling down on the fact that like she has power over him now. Yes. And it's actually it's not Renton's fault for doing what he does because he does sleep with her again later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, like, yes, the movie has created a situation that basically absolves 
Renton of responsibility. Yeah. But I still don't like it. No, and it's like, for what purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Why be with a 14-year-old girl? Yeah, why write this story? I mean, the story, the book specifically in so many situations and chapters feels like it's just trying to be as risque. Shocking. Shocking, dirty, like upsetting as like possible yeah like it feels like it's that's the book's goal at points yeah and this kind of falls in line with that you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like it just feels like for shock value yeah and it you know some of it works and some of it just does not a lot of it does not yeah there is a scene here that's interesting where um some of the boys go out kind of into the like scottish wilderness a bit i mean they're not really in the wilderness no they kind of walk out a little bit and tommy's like let's hike up like one of the mountains like let's go out into the wild and we have renton kind of going off about how it sucks to be scottish and this is in the book it's more of like an internal monologue that he has yeah so it's kind of transposed here into him kind of going off around his friends i really love this part because On one hand, like this story, like we were saying, it's very specific to a certain time and a certain location with certain people. So in one way, his rant is very specific about it sucks being Scottish Mm -hmm. and how he doesn't hate uh, people from England. They're just wankers and that they were just colonized by wankers. Mm -hmm. And like so in one way, it's specific. But in another way, because of that, it also feels universal. Like. I could easily see a version of this being written about how it sucks to be American. Yeah. And like all the things that suck about being American. And like, I think we all feel that way about where we're from. Yeah. And kind of that you're trapped, right? You're born where you're born. You have no choice. Yes. And you're kind of stuck in this situation. Yeah. It's it's another really iconic scene, though. And I think Ewan McGregor does such a good job with it. I agree. I really like the way uh, the, their night out with everyone, with their respective ladies. Yeah. It kind of goes wrong for all of them to varying degrees. Yes. And the, you know, it sucks to be Scottish scene and how this leads to them going back on heroin. Yeah. And so they're back on heroin. What else is happening here? Uh, Tommy. Oh, Tommy. Yeah. yeah, Because he got broken up with is Mm -hmm. like really heartbroken about this. And asks Renton if he can try heroin. Yeah. And the movie does this really great thing. Because in the book, you know, Renton is just kind of like, I mean, you shouldn't. But like, whatever, man. Like, I I won't stop you. Uh, In the film, they really set up this idea. You know, they establish that like the constant hustle for money Mm -hmm. that they're constantly going through, like stealing. and You know. uh, Getting money from their families. From the government. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when... You know, Tommy's asking to do heroin and, you know, Renton's like, no, like you shouldn't. Yeah. Tommy offers up the money. Yeah. And that is what I think, yeah, yeah, Renton responds to. So I think the movie does a good job of setting up what Renton would respond to and why he would do this. Yeah. And then we have a really sad scene where, Mm -hmm. you know, Renton, Spud and Sick Boy are all cooking up in that same kind of flop house we saw in the beginning um, with the same woman. I think it's either Allison or Leslie. I can't remember. I forget the name. It is. It's a combination of the two characters that the yeah. movie does. So. Yeah. Where we've seen this baby before just kind of crawling around while they're getting high. Yeah. And it's a really sad scene where we see that the baby has died. Yeah. The book mentions crib death. Yeah. I, I read recently that a lot of people have kind of 
you know, assumed that it was from dehydration or malnourishment or mm-hmm. something that was like negligence, yeah. essentially. Yeah, or getting into the stuff there. Which is a really common thing that would happen in a situation like that. Yeah, and that, that happens all the time, unfortunately, still to kids in households like this. Uh, there is a whole situation in my hometown with someone who I like their family I know of and yeah. their kid got into drugs and 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 died and so mm-hmm. yeah I mean it, it's all too common of a situation yeah whatever the reason you know it's really devastating and awful for everybody there to see that this child has died and they're also freaked out we find out here that sick boy is the father mm-hmm. um and Renton kind of thinks that this has affected six sick boy more than he lets on. Yeah. I mean, he's never admitted that this child was his so yeah. far. Um, so it's really sad that he didn't seem to care. And now that the child is dead, we're seeing that maybe he did care, but it's too late. Yeah. Or just that he has regret over mm-hmm. how th- everything was handled. And the, the scene ends so poignantly with, you know, Renton deciding that he wants to handle the situation by getting high again. Yeah. And he, uh, the mother also wants to as well. Mm-hmm. And it ends with the line about him being like, yeah, I, I'd cook her shot up first. Well, after mine, of course, that goes without saying. Yeah. And just like. That power thing. Even in that situation, like he is insisting on cooking up and shooting up first before anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just showing that uh, the the grip, you know, that the addiction has on all of them and how that's how they respond to trauma and mm-hmm. stress and like things like that in their life. Yeah. The, this is not even enough to shock them out of their no. yeah, addiction. So, you know, we mentioned earlier that they're hustling for money, stealing stuff. And this is where we come back to that first scene um, in the movie where uh, Spud and Renton are running from the police. So we find out that they've been stealing to fund their habit. They're running from the police, uh, but unfortunately they're caught. In the, I don't think this is established in the movie. In the book, we find out that they were stealing books. Yeah. And that Renton, just every book he owns, he stole. Yeah. And his mother is like, why? Because <laughs> he tells her, like, yeah, every every book in my room at home I stole. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. It's just something that he does. But, yes, there's a whole situation over stealing the book where they kind of assaulted someone and then were caught. And now they are before a judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Renton is able to get out of it because he's in part somehow a part of a, a heroin recovery addiction program. Yeah. And this is one of his first like on the book offenses, whereas Spud has had multiple stealing offenses, I yeah. think, before. So Spud is sentenced to um, under a year in prison. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Renton kind of manages to, to scrape by and uh, but unfortunately, Spud goes down. Yeah. The rehab program that Renton is in is very short lived. <laughs> and I think this is interesting yeah. to hear about this. Um, it's a methadone program. Mm mm-hmm to kind of come off heroin with this other drug to like kind of help you through. But unfortunately, a lot of people just become addicted to the methadone. Yeah. And in fact, the mom later on, because he wants to be on the methadone later when he's coming down again and she says, no, you were worse coming off that stuff than you were the heroin. Yeah. So kind of just showing the problems of that attempt Mm -hmm. that way of trying to handle it yeah and in in the book too we read about how some of the people that are in these programs actually end up selling their methadone 
to other people yeah. in order to get other drugs and then mixing them mm-hmm. with a bunch of other stuff to kind of create their own high. And like, this is a real problem that happens. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not, um, a good system, you know, I don't know what the best system is for recovery from something like this, Yeah, but it was clearly not working for Renton and Renton Eventually, it's just like, fuck it, and goes to get heroin again. Yes. He, in the film, we get a scene of this. He shoots up at Mm -hmm. the dealer's house, and he overdoses. Yeah. This is captured so remarkably with this effect of him literally sinking into the floor. Yeah. And him looking up through this, like, carpeted... What feels like a grave. Yeah. And we and this begins like this whole sequence of like the the dealer, mm-hmm. um, Johnny. Yes, Mother Superior. Mother Superior, uh, pulling <laughs> just pulling Renton out by his ankles down the steps, yeah, outside onto the curb. You hear an ambulance coming, but that's just like a fake out because he really <laughs> just got him a taxi. Yeah. Which he loads him up into to go to the hospital. Yep. The taxi driver does the same thing, literally just pulls him out, <laughs> drives him up to the hospital, pulls him out to the to the ground, yeah. grabs the money that was left for him by the dealer, drives off, and Renton is just in front of the hospital yeah. in the parking lot on the ground, and eventually some orderlies come to take him into the hospital and wheel him in, and we're still seeing everything through Renton's like carpet perspective. Yeah, like the, the the walls of the carpet yeah. are still there, even though he's like looking at the hospital and just mm-hmm. kind of that like detached feeling. It reminded me of um Get Out yeah. when he would go into the sunken place yes. and he's kind of like seeing, but from a distance. From like that TV. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just such a good effect that just captures the feeling so well. Mm-hmm. And then when they give him the injection to pull him out of his overdose, then it pushes back out through that carpet view and he kind of comes like, back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just another sequence that I don't like, it, it's not nearly as famous as like the toilet one. Yeah. But I think is just as, or if not more effective. Yeah. I love this blending of kind of, Pushing what reality is in this yes. movie because I, I think that's part of the experience of especially like using drugs and this this culture and kind of capturing what the book was trying to capture. Like it's out of the normal. It's like beyond what you would need to capture on film normally. Yeah. And it's such a oh God, it, 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 it shows what a great filmmaker Danny Boyle is because yeah. the budget for this movie was like nothing. Yeah. Like the actors got like hardly anything for it. Like so much of the budget went to like the music because they insisted on having like current like yeah. pop hit music. Um, <laughs> so like they had to do a lot of um, of the scenes in one take because they just didn't have the money or time to commit to like shooting multiple takes of scenes. Yeah. Uh, They just had to be so inventive and like careful with how they did things. And yet the movie is so inventive and creative. And technically well-made. Yes. Like so cool. Uh, it, It's just a testimony to how good Danny Boyle is. And I think something that is great too about Danny Boyle as a filmmaker is that a lot of filmmakers who come out onto the scene with a really inventive and energetic movie like this, Mm -hmm. a lot of times kind of mellow out later on 
in their filmmaking career. They kind of like become less more traditional. Yeah, more traditional filmmaking. Like when they get the higher budgets, suddenly they're like much CGI, more CGI, CGI, CGI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they're just more careful and making like safer movies. Yeah. But I think Danny Boyle has continued to always be inventive in that way. Mm-hmm. Like I think the movie 127 Hours is a great example of that. Like yeah. he was so inventive and creative in that movie out of necessity mm-hmm. for telling that story. And he he goes back and forth on kind of like how much he pushes it. Yeah. But I think an element of that has stuck with him throughout his career. Mm-hmm. There's a so we don't get an overdose scene in the book, but we do get a scene where Renton kind of talks about all the different like psychiatrists and therapists that he's talked to over the years. Yeah. And it's a little bit of insight into his character and himself trying to understand why he does heroin, but at the same time, he doesn't care. Yeah, I loved this part in the yeah. book. Because, I mean, it's kind of addressing the things that I think we were all thinking reading it. Yeah. Because, like, he had a brother, a younger brother, who um, was uh, developmentally disabled, both physically and mentally, mm-hmm. who passed away around the time that he began using heroin. Yeah. So you're like, oh, God, like, he has some kind of repressed trauma that he's dealing with this way. Yeah. But then he just comes right out and basically says that, or at least, like, he's considered it, but he's, like, not sure that... That's, that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of like analyzes his life from all these different like perspectives, like psychological Freudian, like mm-hmm. what's going on and kind of being like, there's some truth to a lot of them, but I also don't think any of them really fit my situation. Yeah. And he does. He just doesn't care enough to really want to be better and want to be different, I no. think. But his parents at this point are like, listen, We've had enough. You almost died. You mm-hmm. overdosed. So um, we're going to lock you in your bedroom and you're going to go cold turkey from the heroin. So he doesn't get to do the soup method. He doesn't get to do the sup- suppository method. Yeah. He doesn't get the methadone. Um, he just has to like come off it. And again, this is a really great scene in the movie of him hallucinating oh as he physically. I mean, this seems like such a terrible physical thing to go through yeah it, it sounds like the worst thing you could experience honestly they get the psychological aspect of it so well like some things are like very specifically weird and creepy like i don't know a dead baby crawling along the ceiling towards you yeah and even though it's like kind of very mechanical and fake looking it's still freaky as fuck yeah um but then even just the room being really long yes is so odd and off-putting mm-hmm. um there's also a shot in it i don't know how they did where he goes under his sheets yeah and then there's begby under the sheets with him yeah and then he's kind of startled and comes back out but it's just the bed again yeah i don't know how they did it was that. really cool it was so seamlessly done <laughs> i i'm amazed by it he sees a lot of his other friends too and you don't know if they are real or illusions like some of them are clearly illusions like spud is in chains in his bedroom <laughs> oh yes but there's another scene where sick boy is like eating a cracker really loud or a biscuit <laughs> and you know like is he really there is he not well and in the book sick boy does visit yeah. so it seems likely that he was actually there yeah but that gets like melded into the uh the fantasies uh so he eventually does come out of this and is sober again yeah sober and very depressed and just not having a good time and in the book at this time uh, Renton has an older brother, Billy, who went and joined the army to fight in Ireland because of all the, the troubles, literally, that are going on in Northern Ireland. They sent 
British and Scottish soldiers over there to fight the IRA. And unfortunately, his brother gets blown up in an explosion. Yeah. So we have his brother's funeral uh, as like a short story here. Yeah. And Renton, I think Renton's frame of mind is interesting because like he's kind of not seeming to care like too much, but like the way it's written you like you said, it's kind of a short story, and so many of the paragraphs begin with like Billy Boy, yeah, and kind of talk about him almost like he's processing, mm-hmm. even though in some ways he seems to be numb to it, yeah, and being like he was an idiot, he shouldn't have like signed up, mm-hmm. and uh, but like he keeps returning to that Billy Boy phrasing, and I thought yeah. like all of that was really interesting. Yeah, let's go to the part that's not interesting or good, <laughs> or yeah. So Billy had a girlfriend, Sharon, who is pregnant with Billy's child. And, you know, his parents knew about this. And, like, Billy went off to war while she was pregnant. Um, Or not war, just went off to Ireland to fight. Um, And now he's dead and she's obviously devastated and, you know, doesn't know what to do. In the At the funeral, she's also drunk while mm-hmm. pregnant. Not great. Um, and Renton decides that he's going to have sex with her in the bathroom. And... It's, like, so awful. Like, it doesn't seem very consensual, even though it seems kind of like Sharon is participating. I I mean, she's drunk and just completely emotionally devastated. So it's like he is very obviously taking advantage of her. Yeah. And this is the part, more than any other in the book, where the author is like, okay, I'm going to be as gross and And crude and degrading in terms of how he's describing this sexual encounter and like how he's describing her being pregnant yeah, and having sex with a pregnant person and like the things going through his head and yeah. his mind about having sex with a pregnant person. And like, it is like stomach churning. Yeah. This was like the worst. This was the worst part for me to read and the most disgusting. And I think this is where, the book turned for me. Yeah. And it had already been kind of losing momentum. It's it's a long book. Yeah. For being a collection of short stories. And at this point, I was like, I'm getting sick of this. Like, literally sick. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, like we were saying, like, the book keeps trying to push the envelope, right? Trying to be as gross and disgusting as possible, which kind of in some ways, like you were saying, reminds me of, like, Chuck Palahniuk, like, Fight Club. Yeah. And, like, Fight Club, not as much, but some of Chuck Palahniuk's other books and writings are trying to be disgusting on purpose. And I felt that way a lot with this book. But, like, this just felt so horrible and cruel and disgusting and misogynistic that I was like, I can't read this. Yeah. It was so gross. And I'm it, not going to describe it because it was that oh, disgusting. Oh, yeah, no. And it really just burned a bridge mentally yeah. for Renton as a character and you kind of empathizing with him. Yeah, totally. Because once again, he's not a character that is very introspective. And like, so he never thinks back on this moment. No. Never regrets it. We and don't I, hear from Sharon again. No. And it, it just is... uh. I don't know. It really makes you think he's like the most disgusting human being on the face of the earth. And like, I don't know. Maybe that's what the author wanted you to take away from it all. Maybe that's his goal. But like, I don't. But then we don't go back to this. No. Like, then we just go on with Renton and his buddies and all the stuff that they're doing as if this didn't happen. And so, again, with the Diane thing, like, we just move on. Yeah. And nothing happens. And we don't like have an arc with his character, really. Like, it means nothing. Yeah. You know, (sighs) On one hand, 
I like the vibe that the book creates with like this short story kind of format. Like mm-hmm. it gives this kind of frenetic, chaotic tone to the book where like characters that pop up, you never know if you'll see them again. You don't know how things tie together. It, it doesn't feel like they're supposed to tie together. It feels kind of like almost meaningless on purpose. Like there isn't a clear arc for Renton as a character. And like yeah. there's elements of that that I like and appreciate. I just think the book is too long. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm like, you know, on page 250 out of like 340. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I feel like I've fully gotten. I understand Renton, right? Yes. And if there isn't an arc for him, I feel like we're just kind of like. Adding a bunch of random stuff. Yeah, we're just kind of digging down further into nothingness and not getting anything from it. Yeah. Let's move on to an even worse story. Well, not worse. Probably the same. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like the moment of the other story, like that singular moment is the worst. But this whole story is really bad. This is Dave coming back, which if you remember was the original guy who shit in Gail's bed. (laughs) Yeah. Not Spud. But he has HIV now and is um, attending some meetings with like an HIV support group. And we quickly find out that he is in this support group to befriend a particular person. This person's name is Alan Venters. Alan Venters. And... He befriends him and then also befriends Alan Venter's ex and his child. Yes. And we know that this is a part of some kind of revenge scheme. Yeah. You, you, you kind of figure out why he's doing this or at least, you know, roughly figure it out before the reveal. But like you discover that Alan Venter's uh, raped a woman while he was HIV positive. Yeah. And the and woman knew that he was HIV positive. and knew it. Yeah. And then the woman who, you know, didn't know this and didn't know she had contracted HIV, mm-hmm. uh, Dave had a relationship with. Yeah. And so he contracted it from her. Yes. So now he's trying to get revenge on uh, Venters. And so he uh, befriends him. And as Venters is dying of AIDS in the hospital, he shows up one day and is like, here, I have some photos to show you. Yes. And at this point, the book has, like, played coy about whether what he has set up in these photos actually happened or not. Yes. Um, It's not real. It's not. (laughs) But it hasn't confirmed this yet. Yeah. But he tells Alan that he murdered his son. Yeah. And he shows him photos of his son covered in blood and then also says that he sexually assaulted him, that he, like, slowly killed it. Like, the way that they describe what he has done to this child is really awful and disgusting. And then uh, he smothers him with a pillow and is like, yep, okay, my work here is done. And then explains to us, yeah, I just um chloroformed the child. Yes. Set up a crime scene in these photos and then cleaned everything up and the boy is fine. And he's like, I could never actually, like, murder a child. I'm like, no, but you could chloroform them and, yeah. like, take, like, naked photos of the child. Yeah. Uh, so that's a story that just is in there. And Dave just goes on living his life, apparently. We don't hear with, from him again. With, nope. And he has no regrets about anything that he's done. Yeah. And that's just a story. Yeah. That's just a fun little story. That's that, just a random nugget thrown in. Yeah. It is It's probably the most fully contained short story that has like a full arc to it. Yeah. Like it feels like the most, especially considering it's a character that like 
we don't we don't really know. No, yeah. Uh, and when you're reading it like partway through, I'm like, this feels like a very contained thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, both of these stories were like near the end. They were back to back. Yeah, <laughs> near the end of the book, and I'm like. Why are you doing this to us? Why am I still reading this? <laughs> is what I was wondering. And I was like, how much more of the book do I have left? Yeah. Because it was getting it was getting rough, let me tell you. Uh, this was like the, the last peak of awfulness. Like true. True awfulness. True awfulness. In I the have book. seen true awfulness, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I can live to speak about it. Yeah. Yeah. That the, the there's so many short stories and random asides and secondary characters in the book. Uh, but those are just some of the additional stories we thought were worth mentioning. Yeah. Let's shift back to the movie, mm-hmm. which still ties into the book at this point. And Renton takes an HIV test. Yeah. The HIV element in the book is much more prominent, I'd mm-hmm. say, but the movie still addresses it. Uh, Renton takes the test, finds out he's negative but quickly finds out that his friend Tommy is HIV positive now. Yeah. And you can tell he feels a little bit guilty about what's happened to Tommy. Yeah. It's more addressed in the book, but like Renton was the one that gave Tommy the stuff. Yeah. And now Tommy is HIV positive. And like in the book, Tommy is kind of like really kind of upset that Renton is not HIV positive because he's like, you've used longer than me. Yeah. Um, You've like used other people's needles and rents and insists that he never has, even though he doesn't actually believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just really sad because Tommy was this character who never used and was like, seemed fine and healthy. And now he is rapidly declining. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, like you said, Renton like does feel like partly responsible for this, but Renton, you know, now that he's clean again, decides to kind of make a new life for himself. Mm -hmm. So he moves to London. Yeah, he becomes a realtor in the movie and is trying to sell apartments to people. (laughs) Yeah. In the book, he's um, running some kind of vast um, unemployment fraud scheme. (laughs) Yeah. Where he's collecting unemployment checks for like different people that don't exist. It's only like mentioned though. Yeah. And this is another thing too, like him being on and off heroin. Like- him being in London or not being in London feels like it constantly goes back and forth and you're never quite sure. Yeah, and it's mentioned that he and Begbie are doing stuff in London or have some kind of scheme going, but you don't know what is no. happening. Yeah. I, I, I constantly felt like I was missing something in the book. I'm like, <laughs> did they explain this at any point? No. No. Uh- <laughs> but unfortunately, so his new life is interrupted, though, and it's funny. He's, he gets this letter from Diane that he's reading. Uh, First of all, she tells him she's not pregnant, which I'm like, oh, you mean you didn't knock up a teenager? Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then she talks about how Begbie is wanted by the police for an assault or a robbery or something that Begbie does. Yep. And then at that very moment, there's a knock on his door. (laughs) And Ranton just gets this look on his face like he immediately knows. He's like, oh, no. And so Begbie, who is just like the most obnoxious character out of any of them, is suddenly living with Rents while he's kind of like on the run. Yeah. And just being, I love, I love when movies do this, (laughs) things like this. 
Uh, there's a moment where Begbie is like, hey, can you get more cigarettes? We're out. And he throws the empty carton just like in, in the, the hall. <laughs> and then later you see that in the single empty carton is now like an entire pile of them just showing the passage of time. <laughs> and then adding insult to injury, sick boy shows up because <laughs> yep. he's also on the run from something. And finally, Renton can't take it anymore and is like, just stay in this uh, random apartment that I'm trying to sell. And of course, it backfires on him when one of his coworkers or his boss tries to show the apartment <laughs> to an unsuspecting couple and Renton end up, ends up losing his job. They like jump out of the cupboard, which I, is yeah, like, like not why? explained, but it's so funny. <laughs> um, so they all decide to go back home to Scotland, to Edinburgh. And it's at this time that Tommy uh, has passed away. Yeah. We find out how Tommy died, which is he got a kitten because he wanted to give it to Lizzie to try to get back with her, um, but she didn't want it. And so he just had the cat and kind of neglected it. And then the cat poop, uh, he got an infection from it. It's like toxoplasma. Toxic plasmosis, I think. Toxic plasmosis, which caused him to have strokes. And that's how he died. And of course, being HIV positive made him more susceptible and weakened to infection, which is what happened. It's interesting in the book, this is another character. It's someone called Maddie, who we've kind of heard about off and on throughout the book, but not really as a main character, just as a side character. Yeah, Tommy does have HIV in the book, but he never dies from it. Like, it's kind of, you know, it, it feels like only a matter of time. Yeah, we leave off in a really bad place with Tommy in the book. Yeah, but it's a different character who dies of this in this specific way with the cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like in the book, there's this part where they're at the funeral and it's just kind of like going through every character's headspace and like what yeah. they're thinking about. And I just thought that was like a really interesting little chapter. Yeah, I did like that too. Yeah, it's just really sad, I think, and maybe alarming for them to see somebody that they cared about die in this way and especially being so young yeah let's talk about uh the ladies in the book yeah we have a couple chapters that focus more on kelly and allison who Mm -hmm. are characters um from the book and they do kind of appear in the movie too in different forms like i think it's the gail character and then i don't know if anybody else is I couldn't keep, like, anyone straight, like, especially the women, like, and who yeah. they were dating, and uh, it was just very confusing. Yeah, so we got a story of, like, Gail and Allison kind of talking about how both uh, Sick Boy and Renton are, like, kind of shits, and they're they're sort of seeing them, and then, like, they get catcalled. And then they like kind of turn it into like this female power moment where they start like catcalling the men back and then a bunch of other women join them and they're like, yeah, men suck, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's another scene where Kelly, who's kind of dating Renton at the time, is bartending and these guys are being just like so rude and awful to her. So (laughs) she decides to fuck up their food with (laughs) her pee poop and period blood yep and i'm i'm saying this because this is not the grossest thing that has happened in this book this is like this is like small change compared (laughs) to everything else but it is stupid right you know speaking of chuck polanak and fight club though this is like exactly exactly like fight club the waiters yeah i feel like i can't like that can't be a coincidence. Like he had to have been inspired i guess by this but yeah yeah it's just a really gross scene that 
once again, I think is supposed to be funny. But by at, th- at this point in the book, I just had such fatigue. Yeah. That I was like, I can't anymore. Well, and I need to mention here the female characters a bit mm-hmm. in this book because they're not written well. No. And actually, Ian, I was thinking about it. This book does not pass the Bechtel test. Oh, shit. Which is like really actually kind of rare for books. Because characters talk to each other so much more than in movies. Even in that female part where they're all like sitting around talking. Yeah, but they're shitting about men. They're talking about men. It's exclusively about men. Yeah. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Fuck me. (laughs) Like none of the women have anything going on except dating these men, thinking that they're shitty, being harassed by men, getting revenge on men by doing weird shit to their food. Like, it's just all about the men. And, like, there's an earlier chapter that's actually um, Renton's cousin, who's a teenager, and, like, it's about her kind of getting her period at a funeral, and then later at um, Renton's brother's funeral, the one where he has sex with his brother's fiancé or whatever, he's, like oh, my cousin was looking really shaftable, yep. as he put it. And then he's like, is it illegal to want to fuck your cousin? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about Scotland, but... But, uh, but like your underage cousin, yes. Oh, yeah, that's right, too. That also. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, everything that involved women in this book was like really gross and terrible. And you kind of maybe expected that from the male characters. But even when we got into the female character's head, it was just like all about the men. So yeah, it was not great. Yeah. The whole like women shitting on, not literally shitting on, like talking trash on men and like this female empowerment moment felt like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to (laughs) like speak for the author, but it felt like this really lame attempt to be like, Oh, I haven't forgot about you ladies. Like, don't yeah. think I don't know what you go through with men and how annoying it is. Like, and how you like to just cat call us back and then kind of put us down and then talk about men together. I get it. Yeah. Like, you don't have to worry. Like, I got you in this chapter. It, it, and it just feels like so like so many other parts of the book feel like they could have been based on real events, you know, yeah. like e- even the really dark stuff, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the baby dying, at you know, in the heroin house and things like that. Like there's this edge of truth to them sometimes. Yeah. Not everything. But this part just felt like the lamest idea for a short story that isn't anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, the group uh, scores some really intense heroin. Yes. And they need to buy it from the guy who currently has it. Mm -hmm. And to do that, they need $2,000 or whatever the currency is from uh, Renton, who's like the only one among them who has like any money. Yeah. And Renton is kind of like at first not wanting to be involved, but Mm -hmm. kind of quickly falls into the plan. Yeah. And their plot is to go down to London and end up selling it to another middleman who will give them more money for it and then obviously sell it for more as well. So they get they they buy the heroin, mm-hmm. but then they have to test and make sure that it's actually like high quality and the testing of the heroin falls to Renton. Yeah, so he shoots up. Yeah. This doesn't happen this way in the book. In the book, they just take the heroin and then he and Spud just decide to shoot up with it. Yeah, it's not like a necessity or it's not played off that way. I think they just want to try it. Yeah, because it's talked about like, oh, this is such good high quality shit that like you can't, 
you couldn't possibly pass up the opportunity to try it, even yeah. if you are clean. Yeah, which, you know, is blowing Renton's clean streak. And then he later shoots up again in the bus bathroom mm-hmm. when they're going down to London. So it's feeling like he's just back in his habit again. Yeah, he makes a comment, though, about how, like, the stretch of time where he has been clean each time he gets clean has been longer. Yeah. So kind of speculating, like... Maybe the next time will be the time. Like, it seems to be getting better, but also, like, is that just, like, optimistic thinking? Mm -hmm. Uh, They get to London. They meet with the dealer, make the deal, Mm -hmm. and then... uh, They get 16,000 pounds. Yeah. And then they're out partying Mm -hmm. and enjoying it at a bar. Yeah. Uh, There's a moment where Sick Boy goes to the bathroom. Begbie goes up to get more drinks. Mm -hmm. And Renton looks at Spud... And kind of, like, floats the idea of, like, what if we just, like, took the money and ran from them? Yeah. And and Spud, like, can't tell if he's joking. And it's yeah. unclear if he is in this moment, like, if uh, if Renton is serious or not. Mm-hmm. But before they could even decide, like, you know, Sick Boy comes back. And then Begbie on his way back <laughs> bumps into a poor man. At the bar. At the bar and gets into a huge fight. Yeah. Starts beating the shit out of this guy and ends up cutting Spud's hand in the process. Yeah. And then like kind of humiliates Renton too, like makes him light a cigarette for him is very like dominating yeah. in this scene, kind of putting everyone in their place. The scene is so good. Yeah. Cause like, despite how tense the situation is, like everything is like dead quiet mm-hmm. and like everyone, the guy behind the bar, all the other patrons and like, as he makes Renton get him the cigarette, him yeah. just kind of like, loving the power mm-hmm. and it, it, it's just such a well-done moment yeah and it shows how despicable begbie is right yeah. and so then that night they're all passed out in the hotel and this is like such a weird hotel room it's like circular yeah well so was the room that they did the deal in that's too. that was that room it was oh oh they were okay i yeah. thought it was because like when they showed up i thought that was the dealer's room not their room but. yeah i thought so too but then they go back to sleep there so i'm yeah, like oh it's their hotel room that makes sense yeah and renton wakes up mm-hmm. and slips the money from under begbie's arm and he is leaving the room when he looks down and sees the spud is awake yeah this scene is so heartbreaking i know spud has like a tear in his eye and he's like shaking his head to like not go yeah and and renton leaves anyway mm-hmm. and you know you know that spud is the one who's like the sweetest like most sincere member of the group yeah like sick boy is kind of an asshole and begby's just a psychopath but spud is like well-meaning mm-hmm. and i think like you know Renton, when he floats the idea of running with the money, was kind of serious. Yeah. And that he would want to do that with Spud. Yeah. Um, And so this moment of him leaving Spud feels, like, so sad. Yeah. He ends up leaving money for Spud, mm-hmm. like, in a drop-off point that I don't think Spud is expecting. Only in the movie. Only in the film, though, yes. Yeah. And my only gripe is, in the movie, them showing Spud getting the money. Yeah. And seeming happy. Because I think him being left in kind of this like sad state is more effective to the story. Yeah. And it's still like, he's still left. Like he still betrayed him. Even yeah. If he gets his share back. Like it's still a betrayal. Right? No, I, I, I totally agree. But I think leaving it on that note, like yeah. that being the last time you see Spud is more impactful than like the money almost makes it in that moment seem like everything's okay. Yeah. Even though you could argue that it probably isn't in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wish they hadn't shown. Cause when he leaves the money, you know what he's doing. Yeah. 
Uh, you know he's leaving it for Spud, so I don't think that you need to see him picking it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we see Begbie destroying the hotel and then getting arrested. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then we see Renton walking away with the money, kind of saying he's going to start a new life somewhere. And I like how ambiguous this is, right? Because he has this cash. He just got back on heroin. Yes. And you're like, um, is he just going to shoot up all the money? Like he, what? He's going to Amsterdam. Yeah, where... <laughs> A lot is legal. Yes. Um. So you're like, what's going to happen? Is he going to make a better life for himself? And we get this monologue where he's saying, I am going to live a better life. I'm going to become a better person. I am going to choose I'm gonna life. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose the mortgage. I'm going to choose yeah. the, yeah. And I love, he says, I'm going to be just like you. Yeah. And I love the naivety of that line. Like that almost really solidifies the fact that like he probably won't be. Yeah. And that this is all just kind of a pipe dream, like mm-hmm. uh, that isn't going to come true yeah but i do love the ambiguity of it and the the book leaves off in almost like the exact same way yeah and you know there is a case to be made that like it's his friends and edinburgh that is that drags him down it could be like yeah he was making a life for himself in london until begbie and sick yeah. boy came and like ruined it and like dragged him back to scotland mm-hmm. and so him separating himself from them would be the advisable thing to do if he did want to like yeah straighten out his life and like separating in a dramatic way where he can't come back exactly and they kind of say that in the book like he knows he can't come back because Begbie would literally kill him and so it's worth mentioning here that there is another movie yes which we have not seen and we didn't want to we did not want to discuss it here because we wanted to focus on you know the story that we have but there's also sequel books are there? I didn't know that. Yeah. And the movie T2 is yeah. loosely based on the sequel book. Oh, interesting. Okay. And there's other books, too, that I don't know if they're really sequels because I think they follow different characters. Yeah. But they're kind of in the same universe. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. I really, I heard the movie is quite good and yeah. I really would love, the way it left off, like, I do like how ambiguous it is. Mm-hmm. And if it was just the first movie, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. But there is like, like, I feel like there's more to explore with like Renton leaving Spud. Yeah. And I'd really love to see how their relationship is. Yeah. And if, they were like were reunited. Yeah, if they can reconcile or not, and mm-hmm. just like where people like this that feel like they solely belong to a certain time and place and lifestyle. Yeah, what naturally happens as they get older, assuming they like live to grow older. Yeah, like, how things do, change. Yeah, how do people like that adjust? And mm-hmm. I re- so I really am interested in watching the sequel movie. Yeah. So Ian, which one's better? Uh, you know, I, this may surprise you, Adina. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the movie on this one. I am too. Uh, you know, the, the book does a lot of good things. Like I, it's, it was one of the most challenging books to read just based on like the dialect and the, you know, changing perspectives and everything, the structure. The structure. And I did feel rewarded for finishing it. Or I just felt like I had accomplished something. Yeah. And you know, there are aspects of it that I like you know, the short story kind of format, the jumping around a lot, Mm -hmm. the ambiguity of a lot of things. But that also becomes the book's downfall as it just keeps going. You know what I mean? It's too sprawling. Yeah. And it just, it needs focus if it's going to go on that long, I think. Yeah. Uh, So what the movie was able to do with like really keeping the core of the story intact Mm -hmm. and the ideas and the characters and just giving it like a little bit more structure and focus uh, 
it ended up making for such an amazing story. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of the most iconic lines and scenes from the film are based directly on the book. But like you said, the book just narrows it and focuses it so much more and then appropriately leaves out a lot of the worst parts of the book Yeah, that were just really, really tough to get through that I really hated and did not like. This book is very mixed for me. Like, in some ways, it's really interesting and I would you know, suggest it to people looking for something that's very different. But at the same time, it's so tough to read at points that I'm I'm like, I don't know if I'd recommend this to anybody. Yeah, if you know someone who, like, if you know their tastes well, like if they're a big Chuck Palahniuk fan, like, I would maybe recommend this to Rachel, you yeah. know, our, our friend who, who likes Palahniuk. But, you know, yeah, I, I would also struggle to recommend this as well. It's a very, but it was really popular, I know. I know yeah. the book is, like, wildly popular, so... Maybe it's more accessible than I feel like it is, but ultimately it just wasn't totally worth it at all points. Yeah, I'd say watch the movie. And I mean, there's still problems with the movie, like having sex with a teenager and then not talking about it ever again. But <laughs> um, yeah, it it's a lot better in terms of like content than the book. I knew I liked the movie, but rewatching it, I'm like, this is so good. Like, yeah. I would honestly watch it again, like right now. Yeah. It's just has such good momentum and energy and the directing is so good in the performances and it's mm-hmm. fun, but deep and impactful. And yeah, it's, it's a really phenomenal movie. All right. So that's the movie from both of us. Let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. So first up for lightning round, there's a scene in the movie uh, we didn't mention where uh, Begbie and Renton go out to party while mm-hmm. they're in London and Begbie ends up in a car uh, with a woman and uh, discovers that it is a trans woman. Yeah. And Begbie reacts really, like, viscerally to this and mm-hmm. kind of, like, runs from the car. And later, when telling Renton this, like, threatens him because he's, yeah. like, very Don't upset. tell anyone. And uh, Robert Carlyle, who plays uh, Begbie, talked about how he, you know, kind of did a whole, like, backstory to the character and and kind of, like, tried to play it or at least thought about it that, Begbie's sexuality was maybe he was closeted Mm. and that's where a lot of his rage and like anger came from was this idea that like he couldn't he didn't feel comfortable being who he actually felt like he was being interesting yeah yeah um I can see that definitely more in the movie the book is very yeah you know they mentioned the book also maybe being ambiguous but I didn't I didn't get that into that at all but Yeah. yeah I think in the movie Apparently, that was also a choice for, like, the mustache, too. Kind mm-hmm. of like a Freddie Mercury-looking oh, yeah. uh, mustache. <laughs> so, not that everyone who's a mustache is gay, but... <laughs> uh, next to our lightning round, I want to mention in the book, their uh, drug dealer, um, the Mother Superior, or uh, Johnny Swan, uh, ends up losing a leg because mm-hmm. he started injecting heroin into his arteries and got gangrene in his leg. So that's apparently a thing that can happen. Yeah. And they had to amputate his leg. So, um, yeah, he's just chilling. He's, like, happy because he gets drugs um, from his surgery now that he's on. Yeah. And then there's a scene where he is, like, begging um, at the train station and is pretending to be a soldier that has come back from Ireland. <laughs> a wounded war vet. And he gets all this money, and this old woman, like, gives him all this money because her son actually died. Yeah. And it's very... Sad but funny at the same time. This is like a scene that I think the book pulls off well. I I do too. And like Johnny is just like 
oh, this is great. Like, yeah. as he's, like he's totally unfazed by this, like, sad woman's story. Yeah. Is just happy to, like, Get be, the money. Yes. <laughs> There's a scene in the book that I really loved where Renton, Sick Boy, and Spud are just, like, hanging out, like, in the park. Mm-hmm. And Renton and Sick Boy start throwing rocks at a squirrel. And Spud gets, like, really upset about this. Yeah. And kind of yells at them and is like, that squirrel never did anything to you. And, mm-hmm. like, you should stop that. And... Like, is visibly upset, and Renton kind of, like, takes him aside and, like, gives him just this genuine apology. Yeah. And is like, you know, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to upset you, and kind of tells him, like, you know, you're you're really the best of us, Spud, and, and yeah. I love you. Yeah. And it's, it's a really sweet and touching moment between them, and I just really loved this little bit in the book, because it's just them showing a genuine love for each other mm-hmm. and just highlighting Spud's, like, better qualities. Yeah. And it just kind of reminded me of, like, a fight you might have or I might have, like, as a kid. Yes. Y- you know? It feels very childish. Yeah. But there, there being such a sincerity to it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a showing of, like, true affection yeah. between boys that, like, a lot of times you lose as you grow into adulthood. Yeah. So, yeah, I just really loved this part of the book, and I wish Renton wasn't as huge of a piece of shit as he was yeah. almost at every other point. <laughs> or if we had kind of more of a follow-up on this at all. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's a scene in both the book and the movie where um, a dog is shot by an air rifle. <laughs> yes. In the book, it's just Sick Boy doing it on his own. Yeah, just entertaining just, himself. Just hanging out. Um, and in the movie, it's Sick Boy and Renton, and Renton actually grabs the gun and does it. Yeah. And the, the point is to shoot the dog so the dog will attack the owner. Um, and it's kind of funny in the movie because they're doing like the Bond accent, the Sean Connery <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, they mentioned Miss Moneypenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the book, the dog is like really fucks this guy up. Yeah. Because he like clamps onto his arm and like won't let go. And the guy's like bleeding out. And Sick Boy, like, pretends to come to the rescue, even though he's the one that started it. This is very, like, Begbie in that glass yeah. throwing scene. And he smothers and strangles the dog to death. Does it die? Yeah, he kills the oh, dog. Oh, I thought it just passed no, out. No, no, he kills the dog. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, you're such a hero, son. You saved that guy. And I'm like, Jesus. And, like, this was, like, part of it. Like, when the dog is attacking the guy and Sick yeah. Boy is, like, Oh boy! Like yeah. he's like now's the the part I'm now excited I get to be about. The hero. Yeah, like it's so it's twisted, so twisted and weird, and the fact that he's like just doing it on his own. Yeah, like there's no one even around to like egg him on. It's like so fucked. It's up. messed up. Um, apparently in the movie during this scene, they wanted to play the Mission Impossible theme music, <laughs> which. I'm like, is weird because they're doing like a James yeah. Bond impression, but they didn't do that because buying the rights to that music would have been like three times like the total budget for the entire film. Oh, my God. <laughs> so is that expensive? Like, they were, well, you know, the Mission Impossible reboot with Tom Cruise came out oh. not long after this. OK. So I think they were planning for that. And mm-hmm. we're like, we don't want people to be fucking with this. Yeah. Right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our lightning round. Yep. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was an interesting one. So if you've read the book or have seen the film, please reach out to us. Let us know what you thought. Um, Yeah, very, very uh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of another word, but I just could not. You know, for I will say, though, like, despite how, like, gross and how much I disliked this book at points, 
reading it, I it was one of those moments, almost like a Twilight episode. Yeah, we're reading it. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't wait to talk I'm about this. Taking notes. Yeah, like oh, <laughs> I, I want to dig into this. Uh, so it was rewarding in that way of like getting to talk about it in the episode. Yeah, I I enjoyed a lot. So yeah. Um, we recently just dropped a new after credits episode for all of our patrons as we do every month. This time on the 2022 Oscars. So if you'd like to listen to that and all of our other bonus episodes, we have over 40 at this point. Mm-hmm. Join us on Patreon at any tier to gain access to all those episodes, priority suggestions, monthly schedules, access to our Discord server. Need I say more, Adina? <laughs> you need not. <laughs> <laughs> you needn't. <laughs> if you'd like to follow us and see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you can also email us at coveredacreditspod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.